Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. You guys are such a beautiful sight. It's such a joy to be able to be with you every week and to open the Word together. Before we do that, I want to tell you about, or as a part of that, I want to tell you about two women today that I have had the privilege of pastoring. The first was named Tommy Smith. It's, she was this beautiful, elegant, godly woman. It's interesting. I've pastored two women named Tommy in my life, Tommy Smith and Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee went to be with the Lord a few months ago, but um, both of them, gracious, elegant women. That's the way Tommy Smith was, kind, compassionate, but a broken hip and a cancer and some other things had forced her to leave our church and to move in with her daughter in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, And really, whenever I was in Fort Worth, I would try to go by and see Miss Tommy, just check in on her. Uh, She couldn't be with people she loved um, apart from her family, kind of confined there in that room in that house. And it was hard on her because she was a people person. And, And so God laid it on her heart to start a letter writing ministry. And she would write these notes of encouragement to people as, as she would hear stories about what they were going through, et cetera. And, and so I would pick up a big stack of her note cards and take them back to the church and we'd put a stamp on them and we'd mail them for her. Um, but just this beautiful, winsome way uh, that she had. And she had a special place in my heart because of how much she loved our family. You know, it's funny when, when people love your family, it's easy to love them. And she particularly loved my third son, Matthew, who was little blue-eyed handful at the time. He was about four or five years old. And Miss Tommy, for whatever reason, she just fell in love with him. And we would talk about him. And I told her, you know, he had a really hard time sleeping at night. Not only he had a hard time, first of all, going to sleep, you know. And so he would get in his bed. It was bedtime. We'd go through the whole routine of stories and drinks and bathroom and everything. But that, you know, his little brother would fall right asleep, but he'd be awake all night long. And, and he'd He'd get, hey, Dad, can I have a glass of water? Dad, I just need to tell you one more thing. Finally, after about the 10th try, I I said, Matthew, if I hear your voice again, I'm going to come up there and I'm going to swat you on the bottom. There's a silence for about five minutes. And he goes, Dad, when you come to swat me on the bottom, would you bring me a drink? (laughs) Not only was he hard to get to sleep, he wouldn't stay asleep. And so he'd just wake up in the middle of the night and wander around, you know, four or five years old. That's terrifying. One time he literally did this. He left our house. He opened the door, went outside, went to the neighbor's house. Our neighbor was Coach Jim Kane, and Jim would get up and jog early in the morning. It's, Jim had left his door unlocked. Jim went and jogged. He came back, and Matthew was in the playroom playing with their kids' toys. Is that terrifying? See, you just think your kid doesn't sleep at night. I got some horror stories for you. We had to put those flap locks on the doors just to keep him in. Of course, if there's a fire, we're all going to burn up. But, you know, it was, you know, you make your choices as a parent, right? Miss Tommy just loved hearing those stories. So I'd go and I'd sit and I'd talk to her and she'd say, you know, tell me about Matthew. Is he sleeping? And I'm like, no, not really. I said, he spent the night last night under our bed. And she just, she had a way she'd put her chin on her chest and she would just start to chuckle. She wouldn't laugh out loud. She'd just like that, smiling. One day, uh, 
We got a little card in the mail. It was, it was in the shape of a fish, and it was addressed to Matthew. And, and we opened it up, a little silver fish, and it said, Matthew, if this fish could talk, he would tell you to be sure and get a good night's sleep. I'm praying for you, Miss Tommy. She's just this winsome personality. And as it got toward the end of her life, they called and said, Miss Tommy's not going to be much longer on this earth. And so I went to see her and, you know, she was just sleeping kind of quiet and resting. And in those times, you don't know whether they hear you, do they not hear you? They tell us that the last thing to go is their hearing. And so talk to them. And so I sat on the bed beside Miss Tommy and I started talking to her and I was talking to her about Matthew and I told her some story about Matthew and I said, you know, he's still not sleeping. And I told her something he had done recently and I didn't know if she heard me or not. But then all of a sudden I saw this smile, her, her chin went to her chest and I saw her go. I preached her funeral June the 2nd, 1998. Let me tell you about another girl. This girl's name Rebecca. She had a hard life, man. Her mother was an addict. Her father tried to help. But, you know, in those days, they always gave custody to the moms, regardless of how dysfunctional their environment was. He didn't have control of her or her brother. But when the dad couldn't stand it any longer, it got to the point he was so afraid for his children that he hired a private detective who stole the boy. He went and stole the boy from the mom. And nothing came of it. You know, I, we don't know if the mom was, you know, just at first didn't even know he was gone or was just relieved or, or the court system was sympathetic that this is a terrible situation. But at any rate, nothing ever came of it. And that boy came to live with his dad and the girl stayed with the mom. And the dad became a Christian and his life started to change. And so the son grew up in this really stable, healthy environment as the Holy Spirit took control of that family. But the daughter grew up in this dysfunctional, chaotic world of addiction, and she became an addict later on. I don't know if she ever got married or not, but she had three children. She had a boy and two girls. But there was this deep, abiding hurt in her heart that her dad had rescued her brother, but not her. And it, it marked everything about her. And the dad, being a Christian, was, as she, you know, got old enough, he was trying to reconnect, reinvest, you know, do what you can. Sometimes those hurts are deep. And he really wanted her to discover Christ and come into the light and that saving relationship with Jesus. And then it happened. One day she reconciled and she turned. She not only forgave her father, but she sought the forgiveness that comes through Jesus and she was genuinely changed. It was one of those genuine, she went through detox because she had become an addict as well. And um, she went through recovery. She started living a life of sobriety. She got a job. Everything started to function. She was living with her dad and, and his new wife at the time. And it was just one of those amazing stories of grace. And sadly, about three years later, uh, Rebecca fell back into addiction. And she was under the influence when she drove her car in front of a semi-tractor trailer and was killed instantly. And I preached her funeral September the 5th, 1998. She was 29. 
It was, it was almost three months to the day after I preached Miss Tommy's funeral. And sometimes I think about those two women and just kind of slide them in next to each other in my mind, you know. What do they have in common? Well, they both died in 1998. They both died within months of each other. Uh, they were both women. They were both mothers. But apart from that, man, you couldn't have defined two people that were more different than Tommy and Rebecca. Tommy was a lifelong follower of Jesus. Rebecca was a new convert. Tommy's life was stable and loving. Rebecca's world was stormy and difficult. Tommy was nearly 90. Rebecca was nearly 30. But here's the one thing they have in common. They're both in heaven right now. Isn't, isn't grace amazing? I mean, I'm, I'm going through John 12, 11, 12, and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm once again reintroduced to the amazing nature of grace. That woman that lived her entire life faithful to Christ is in heaven with the woman that barely made it in. So let's get our Bibles and let's go to John chapter 12. We're going to look kind of deep into the, the backside of this passage, this chapter. But before we do that, I want us to go back and remember something that Jesus said in chapter 11, verses 25. And Jesus said to her, he's talking to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And this is the central theme of everything that follows. To demonstrate that he was the resurrection and the life, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And then three days after they murdered him, he would raise himself from the dead. And he's been raising people from the dead ever since. He's raised Tommy and Rebecca. And, and the beauty of it is, and the beauty of grace is, it doesn't depend on how good we are or how much good we've done or how much bad we've done. The thing that keeps us out of heaven is disbelief, and the thing that gets us into heaven is belief. And that's exactly what he said. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And you know, that's true for me too. One day I'm going to die. And I don't know when that day or hour is, but when that day happens, even though I've died, yet I will live and I'll see Rebecca and Tommy again, you know, if you can find them in the crowd. So the question then is, well, what does it take to live with that kind of certainty? How can you know so certainly that you're going you're gonna to have eternal life? And I think, first of all, you have to believe to be saved. That's obvious, right? He's already said that. Go down now to John chapter 12, verse 35. So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. I love that. Talk about understatement. When you're walking in the dark, you don't know where you're going, right? You know that. You know why God invented toes, don't you? So you can find furniture in the dark. It's painful to walk in the dark. You don't know where you're going. It's fearful. You bump into things. You crash into stuff. Bad things happen in the dark. And so Jesus is talking about the light. He said, while you have the light, look at this, underline this part. Believe in the light. I made it all caps so you could see it so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and went away and hid himself from them. So it's all about belief, right? But then we got to ask that next question. What exactly does it mean to believe? I mean, is it just giving intellectual agreement with something like, 
Here's the box. Do you believe? Check yes or no. Yes, I believe. Check. Belief is secured for eternity. Is that what it's all about? You know, that's not what Jesus is going to say here because here's, here's what he's going to say in the rest of this. He said, you got to die to believe. you got to die to believe. I mean, back up a few verses to John chapter 12, verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to the worship at the feast. So, Greeks. Now, remember, in the Jewish mind, everything was in dichotomy. You had Jews and Gentiles. You had the chosen and the lost. That's all you had. And these Greek guys had showed up, and they realized, obviously, that the pantheon of the Greek uh, the Greek worship and the Greek gods was was dumb and it was meaningless and it wasn't going to do anything to atone for their sins or offer them any security of eternal life or even meaningful life right now. And so they're mingled in and mixed with the Jews hoping to find something among the Jews, but then they hear the message of grace and they want to talk to Jesus. Uh, So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And so they're seeking God, and they're trying to find Him in Jesus. Verse 22, Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. Verse 23, and Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, wait a second. Why would He say that? Because these Greeks have shown up. You know, a lot of times... When, when people would want something from Jesus, he would say, it's not my hour. Remember when he, you know, Mary comes to him at the wedding feast, they're out of wine, and she's like, hey, Jesus, you got to do something about our wine problem here. And uh, Jesus is like, woman, it's not my time, right? It's not my hour. And that was often the case. But now he says, it's my hour to be glorified. These Greeks have come, and it's obvious that now the gospel of grace is about to explode onto the world scene. It's going to move right through and out of the Jews into the very corners of every corner of the world. And through that, the name of Jesus is going to be glorified, right? And so his hour has come. But to get there, he had to die first. Look at verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And again, we see the illustration. He's not, it's not just dying he's talking about, it's multiplying he's talking about. He's talking about the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit moving through the entirety of the world, regardless of race, creed, color, uh, socioeconomics, none of that stuff matters anymore. And he's going to be glorified. But to get there, you got to die. You know, you, you plant a grain of seed in the ground and it dies. But what happens when it, when it's resurrected? What happens when that seed germinates and begins to populate? Then you get a, a massive crop of kernels of wheat. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. Uh, But Jesus wasn't the only one going to do the dying. We've got to die too. Look at verse 25. He who loves his life loses it. If you hang on to your life, man, you're going to lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. Now, he doesn't mean you have to literally hate your life, right? Like, I hate my life. Like, you know, that old George Strait song, I hate everything. I hate my job. I hate my life. And if it weren't for my two kids, I'd hate my ex-wife. There's a lot of people that hate their life that don't know Jesus. He's speaking in metaphorical hyperbole. It means you have to surrender. To come to Christ, you have to surrender your life. 
Your life can't be more precious than your relationship with God. And you got to come to a point of surrender. And then when you surrender to find salvation, then you walk in the power of God as you surrender every day. I mean, isn't that what it's about? Isn't that what Paul said in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. I've died with Christ on the cross. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. And so there's a dying to living, right? Look what Jesus said in verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If he wants to serve me, he has to follow me. Where was Jesus going? Well, I can tell you right now, in just a few days, he was going to the cross. And he's saying, if you want to be my disciple, you got to follow me to the cross, which is, again, a way of saying, you got to surrender. you got to be willing to die. Because to believe, to really believe, is not just to check box yes or no. To really believe is to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you know for certain that you have eternal life. That's exactly what Paul said in Romans 6, verse 5, for if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Those two things are tied together. But here's the important part. you got to believe, and to believe you have to die. Now watch this. And to die takes faith. It takes faith to die. Verse 42, nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. For fear, here it is, for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. Now remember, the synagogue was everything to them. It's where life happened. It, it, was, it was, the community was in the synagogue. It was more so even than like what North Monroe is to many of us in our lives center around the community and the family of this church. It was even more than that because you couldn't really do business in that world. You couldn't live in that world unless you were part of the synagogue. And the Pharisees had put out word, you profess Jesus, you're out of the synagogue. But look what he says in verse 43, for they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. And man, that's a hard thing because these Jewish leaders wanted to follow Jesus, but they'd have to give up everything. And I've heard some preachers be really hard on this, you know. It's like, look at them. They love the world more than they love God. And we got people that love the world more than they love God. But think about it this way. If you had to give up your job, your dreams, your community, maybe even your family, would you still be here right now? I mean, if that's what it took for you to sit in that chair right now, would you give up your job, your dreams, and even your family to be in this room right now? Because that's what it took for them. And what if Jesus wasn't what he said he was? You ever think about that? What a risk. You're going to give it all up, and you're not sure he's even the guy he said he was. It's like putting it all on. It's like going into a casino and going to the roulette table and putting it, putting your whole life on the red and telling them to spin the wheel and what that thing comes up black, right? I mean, we always talk about faith as if it were this little step. You know, you got to take a step of faith, man. you got to step out on faith. you got to do a step of faith. Faith isn't a step. Faith is a leap. It's moving into the unknown with the confidence as if it were known. And so what will I have to give up? 
I'm like, have you not been listening? Everything. But does that mean I have to surrender to the ministry? Now, let me clear this up. You don't surrender to the ministry. You aspire to the ministry. I think we, you know, guys like me have given a wrong impression. I surrender to the ministry. You don't surrender to the ministry. He said, uh, first, first Timothy 3, 1, uh, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, that's a pastor, it's a, it's a beautiful work that he does, right? You surrender to God. And you surrender to God whether you wind up in ministry or not. And we need people who are surrendered to God and who are aspiring to ministry. But when we come to faith in Christ, we surrender. Whether you're a, doesn't matter what you do with your, with your occupation, you're still surrendered. And your occupation then begins to be shaped by that surrender. You're not just a plumber anymore. You're a godly plumber. You're not just a you know, uh, an electrician or a doctor or a lawyer or, or a teacher or whatever you are, you, you, what you do becomes marked by who you are, and that's marked by your surrender. And I can't promise what life's going to be like. I can't promise, you know, you'll always live in the same place and you'll never have to move or any of that stuff. But here's what I can promise. I can promise it'll be way better. And I can promise you that your eternity will be assured. Look at verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the, into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. You know, I said it before, I'll say it again. Listen, walking in darkness is hard. There are a lot of people that walk in, in darkness. God wants you to walk in light. And so here's the promise. You won't remain in darkness, and walking in light is way better than darkness. So do you want to live better and forever? Believe, die, trust. That's what you have to do. And if you've never done that, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. In just a minute, we're going to do the Lord's Supper, which is simply a symbol of what we're talking about right now. Believe, die, trust. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, would you do it now? Now, I'm not talking about just believe and check the box and, hey, I attended church Sunday, check the box. I'm talking about surrendering your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, today can be your day. But believer, you need to realize, too, that that wasn't a one-time thing. That's a daily thing. And every day we got to die again. First thing we do when we wake up in the morning, I'm God, I surrender to you today. This is your day. And you may have allowed yourself to kind of reassume that position on the throne, and God is calling you to turn that back over to the Lord. Would you do that? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the power of grace that can take someone who's a struggler, who doesn't even know if who you are or whether you would even still love them. And it communicates that love and hope to them. And I just pray that they would know it today, those that need that. And they would find security in you. They just simply pray, God, I give my life fully over to you. And Father, I pray for those of us who are in faith. You know, we died, but sometimes we quit dying and we, quit, we forget to die. And every day we have to surrender again to you. And Father, in this moment, if there's stuff in our lives that we've allowed back in, those things that pull us from you that 
push us back into the darkness. We just confess that to you. Pray that you would heal us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.